everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zauk, and today I sit down with Evgenia Plotnikova, partner and investor at Dawn Capital. Dawn Capital is one of the premier venture firms in Europe and is focused on B2B software. Dawn invests mostly in Series A and B rounds for high-growth companies across the European continent. Evgeny and her team just raised a new $400 million fund during COVID, a massive size for venture capital, and are extremely active across Europe. In today's episode, Evgeny and I talk about Dawn's general investing style and the companies they target, how she would sell founders on Dawn when in a room with other top VCs, her sourcing and diligence process, and how Dawn utilizes data analytics in those processes, why TAM isn't everything, her investment in Soldo from source to sign, and much more. Let's get started and enjoy the show. Hello, Evgenia, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We're excited to have you as a guest today. Hi, really excited to be with you also. So where are you located right now and what have you been up to in the last few months of quarantine? I am currently in London and believe it or not, I'm actually back in the office, which given how the 2020 has been going, feels a little surreal. Well, look, we, we've spent a, a few months working from home, which has been a new and interesting experience. And then we've been back to school since September, even managed to squeeze in a business trip to Germany, which I was hugely excited about. I haven't taken a plane in a while. Well, that's great. Is that kind of normal practice now in the EU here in America? There's very limited business mm. travel going on. Yeah, it started um, starting going back to normal uh, a little bit. And we have seen a little bit of business travel. It's kind of quite country specific. I would say London today, a few people have gone back to the offices, a few people are taking meetings, but it's a little bit of a mix back. I'd say we're trying to be very careful and try and stay cautious, but um, there's been a little bit of signs of normality uh, sipping back. So to get started, could you just walk us through your background and take us up until you joined Dawn Capital? Of course. I'm one of the partners here at Dawn, one of the four partners of the firm. We are a B2B software fund, and I can tell you a little bit more about Dawn, but how I ended up here, it's fairly simple. I've, I've been an investor for, for a few years. I've worked in London for the past decade. My investing career started in private equity at TPG, which was a fascinating experience. But very quickly, I realized that a lot of my portfolio companies were either being disrupted by technology or were desperately looking for technology to help them innovate and stay in the front of the pack. And so candidly, rather than kind of invest in in some of the businesses, which felt sometimes like yesterday, I was very excited to invest in what I thought were the businesses of tomorrow. And so my my path to Dawn was that of seeking innovation. And I specifically chose Dawn because I was very excited about B2B software. And uh, I think this year we we are seeing that cloud is finally coming out of age. And so I'm, I'm excited to be part of that story. Great. So what kind of first led you down the investing track? Was it something you found, you know, in mm. undergrad or, or something else? Well, I'm a recovering banker. <laughs> so my, <laughs> my, very, uh, my very early days were spent at JP Morgan. Mm. And uh, I absolutely loved the institution. Uh, and it was a fantastic ground to learn some of, uh, some of my initial um, skills. To be very honest with you, what really drew me to investing is the ability to be closer to the companies to see what kind of happens after the deal gets done. And uh, to this day, that's probably one of my favorite parts of investing is uh, the post-investment period when, when you walk into the board and you roll up your sleeves and 
and you help the, the entrepreneurs. So, you know, having spent a few years in an advisory role, I was very keen to be to be in principal investing. And so that that's how I ended up in private equity originally. So then what is Dawn Capital and how would you describe your investing style and, and your team? So Dawn is a specialist venture capital fund based here in London. We focused on B2B software. In fact, we're the largest European VC focusing on B2B, which you know today feels like a trillion dollar playground. The way that we think about that is we frequently tell our entrepreneurs to do one thing and do it really well and to really focus. So we, we're applying the same, uh, the same methodology to ourselves by being specialists. What it really allows us to do is um, to be unashamedly focused on creating value for the company and for our founders and our ability to be the right advisors as, as they all go through very similar scaling challenges of taking their business, you know, from call it a million of ARR to three to 10 to 30 to 100 and, and hopefully everyone being a phenomenal idea. And with that sort of family of software founders around us, we feel it allows us to be focused and deliver tailored, uh, tailored advice. Where we typically come in is around Series A and Series B, which can mean very different things in different markets. What that means to us is a point in time where you figure out product market fit and you're looking to scale, to scale people and processes. For a lot of enterprise software businesses, many times that means making the jump to the U.S., a lot of our fintech businesses, it, it may mean that, or it may, may mean pan-European domination. In any case, it means growing. And this is where we typically come in and we'll help them figure out anything from you know, multiplying marketing channels, thinking about customer success and retention and upsell, or perhaps thinking about channel and partnerships for the first time. So again, anything that has to do with, with people and, and processes. We usually sign a check that's anywhere between five to twenty million dollars to start with, but we uh, we have about a billion dollar AUM and we have multiple pockets of capital, so we can really double down as the company scale and invest you know, up to hundred million in, in any given business over time. And then are a lot of people's backgrounds at, at the fund similar to yours? Is it a lot of kind of ex-bankers and investors or is it some consultants and operators along the way as well? So we're very lucky to have a very diverse team. I'm very proud to say that the backgrounds are very diverse on all fronts. One of my partners is an ex-entrepreneur. He sold the business for a billion dollars before unicorn was, was a word. One of my other partners is a mathematician and an ex-consultant. He's done a lot of research in, in insurance, which is very relevant for fintech businesses. My other partner has been in, in venture capital for a very, very long time. He was one of the early investors back at Reuters when Yahoo was raising their Series A and their Series B. So it's a really mixed bag. And same goes for the entire investment team. We've got a fantastic mix of backgrounds. I'm very proud to say we're, we're also half-half when it comes to gender. We've got people hailing from a lot of different countries and people from all sorts of backgrounds as well. So it's a very diverse team. I saw Don just raised a $400 million fund, which was kind of the impetus for this episode to focus on B2B software. What made you all launch a fund during the middle of a pandemic? And what was the fundraising process like this time around compared to previous times? First of all, thank you. Um, We're very proud, but equally, we wouldn't be there if it wasn't for, for our entrepreneurs that kind of Paved, paved the way for us to deliver the returns. 
The reason for $400 million fund is that we believe there is that continues to be a massive and a growing opportunity in Europe. We think that you know many, many of future of future large software businesses, whether fintech or enterprise software, will be be starting in Europe. And so we wanted to be able to address that opportunity with a fund of sufficient size to be able to raise Series A and, and Series B around. With regards to fundraising, it's actually been a fairly straightforward process. And I think that has to do with the fact that we're currently at our fund four. You know, we've been very lucky with exits throughout our fund history. You know, we invested quite early in iZettle. For the American listeners, it's a European square that we've sold to PayPal for to put into Berlin. We were investors in Mindcast. It's an email security platform that's now listed on NASDAQ and it's two and a half billion worth. But also we, we're investors in, in European leaders like Libra and Detaiku, very large software businesses, which I suspect will also be very successful when it comes to exits. So with, with those things in that are about, you know, performance of the fund one, fund two, and early traction in fund three, I'd say has been a big driver with regards to conviction on behalf of our LPs. I also I believe that a lot of our new US LPs or new Asian LPs, but also long-standing European folks are also behind behind the European opportunity and, and see the same potential as we do. And so, you know, the fundraising process was actually fairly fast. We've opened the data room back in February and the fund closed July, August time. In a very weird way, the fundraising process was actually a little more efficient during pandemic. So we were you know, able to speak to our to our American investors and our Asian investors in, in different time zones throughout the day. Once everyone got accustomed to Zoom meetings, um, that also really facilitated the process. So I have to say it's, it's been a, a fairly smooth ride. But again, it's kind of all thanks to, to the founders that we've backed and, and the broader community that has been very generous with us. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think this will hopefully be saving us a lot of flights in the future, uh, unnecessarily. Hopefully more of this can move towards Zoom. I hope so. So going to kind of the fundraising process itself, or actually the investment process. So let's say you're in a room with A16Z, Sequoia, QED, a lot of these other major venture capital Mm -hmm. firms. How are you positioning Dawn to differentiate itself and show your value proposition compared to some other investors? You've mentioned some wonderful firms. And we're lucky to have been co-investors with some and hopefully co-investors with others in the future. I'd say the way that we talk about Dawn when we pitch ourselves to the European entrepreneurs is, is number one, you know, we're a specialist fund. As an entrepreneur, you probably want to be part of a family where the founders and investors have gone through similar scaling journeys to the one that you're experiencing. And you know, on that Monday meeting, we will not compare you to a consumer subscription business or, or to a marketplace. We'll discuss the scaling challenges that you face and we hope to be the helping hand in those. We're also based in Europe. So for a lot of people that are creating businesses out of here who want to be global titans of, of software, we want that help in the same time zone in their backyard while they make that transition to the U.S. and and eventually to Asia and and kind of globally, we are there to be able to do that and write a large check. And, you know, candidly, at the end of the day, it all comes to people. So I always say to the founders is, you know, I'm delighted if Dawn is your choice, but you need to choose the person you want to work with Mm -hmm. the most. (laughs) 
as sad as it sounds, an, an average investment in venture is sometimes longer than an average marriage. So, you know, we'll be spending <laughs> loads of time together. So I, I, I personally right. believe that connection and fit are most important than anyone. And I'm proud to say that uh, we're very close team of really nice people who feel like a family. And I hope our entrepreneurs feel like they're part of one. That was as good of a pitch as I as I could have heard on this podcast so far. <laughs> Thank you. Going into you know the investment process, how are you usually going about your sourcing and diligence? Have you had helpful frameworks that you've developed over the last mm. decade of work? I'll try not to reveal too much of a secret sauce, but when it comes to sourcing, look, we think about it as the software business. To be very honest with you, we apply a lot of the frameworks by which we judge entrepreneurs to ourselves. And so let's say we have an inbound strategy, an outbound strategy, and then we use technology. So with the, with the outbound strategy, look, we, we're a specialist fund. So we try and speak to every founder who's building a B2B software business in Europe. Uh, that feels like an unsurmountable task, but you know, we've got a wonderful team. And between all of us, we try and make that happen. With that um, strategy, obviously, it's not, it's not a mindless one. What we typically do is that we form a thesis around the market, let's say we pick data and analytics. And then within data and analytics, we'll try and figure out what are the next most exciting trends. Recently, we've been looking a lot at collaboration and figuring out what type of software play would really be interesting for intra and inter-enterprise collaboration. And so we've been speaking to, to every possible business we can find within that space that fits the thesis so that we can pick what we believe would be the future winner. When it comes to, to the inbound strategy, look, we try and be a friendly player in this market with, with no sharp elbows. And we try and form relationships with some of the wonderful investors that come before us, whether those are seed funds, pre-seed funds, or fantastic angels who are there earlier than us, but taking on more risks and uh, who identify some of those uh, businesses earlier than us. So there it really comes to relationships. And you know, we I, I very much hope that those who back some wonderful software businesses earlier than us will keep Dawn in mind when their businesses are starting to raise series A's and series B's. And, you know, sometimes those angels and those people are, are frankly our own founders who build wonderful businesses and start giving back to the community, their business grows and, and develops. And uh, look, lastly, we use tech. It's no secret that every firm on this planet is probably trying to scrape as much information as possible, right. trying to develop tooling to, to help them out. And, uh, you know, I, I, candidly, I don't think any of us have the winning algorithm or crystal ball, but I think all of us feel that we need to be moving with the times in the same way that the startups we invest in do. And so we've also got a couple of those tools in-house. So that's probably how we're sourcing and sort of no big secrets there. And then with regard to the actual investment process and the diligence, Look, I think, again, coming back to the specialism of Dawn, the fact that we are a specialist investor, I very much hope makes the diligence process faster, thorough, and to the point. I feel that over the years of investing, we have developed a number of frameworks and that we know what we're looking for. And we are always comparing kind of apples to apples within our own portfolio. And so hopefully that makes it for breathe of a process to the entrepreneur. I know the fundraising is not easy. <laughs> yeah. So then what are some automatic maybe deal breakers for you and your team when you're looking at a business or conversely certain traits that get you interested every time after, you know, the first meeting with a founder? 
Well, look, I think the number one thing, and I kind of mentioned that a little bit already, is personal fit is important when a founder is choosing an investor to accompany them on their journey. I think it goes both ways, right? And I think we look for founders where we feel there's a great amount of ambition and a desire to build a large, meaningful business. And I think we'll look for a founder market fit. I think it's always fantastic to see founders who are perhaps repeat founders or perhaps have identified the pain point in their personal journey, maybe try to build this within their own large corporate or perhaps have encountered a problem that they really wanted to solve for themselves. And that's important because they will be working on their business foreseeable future. And so that level of genuine excitement about what they're working on is important. I'd say the other very important thing that it gets us excited is it's not just the share market size, which, you know, <laughs> in venture that does matter. If you've got a large enough fund, you want to see meaningful, meaningful exit opportunities. We most certainly look at how large the, the problem is, but I'd say we go a little bit deeper and we try and think of what is the value chain for that specific market? Which part of the value chain does this business play? In? Is that the most difficult part of the market? Is that the one where you can create a meaningful moat, whether it comes with technology or your execution capabilities? So you might be attacking a $100 billion town, but if you're in the commodity segment where it's cutthroat competition and bottom to the race when it comes to pricing, then it's probably a little less interesting. So I'd say those two are potential deal breakers, but also the things that excite us the most. And, you know, look, most obviously the product itself and, and the technology that goes into it, right? You either want to have very innovative technology or you want to have a product that users love. We obviously, you know, do B2B and it's enterprise software. But regardless, you know, you want your users, your users to be enjoying the product that they use. When you call a corporate and you talk to them why they've chosen that specific product, kind of want to know that they didn't just stick their finger in the air and, and pick the first thing that Google showed them. You want to see a little bit of user advocacy because that creates retention and potentially meaningful upsell over time. So I'd say those are some of the critical things that could be either a deal breaker or a reason for high excitement. So I saw you're both an investor and on the board of Soldo, which is a business uh -huh. expense management platform. Can you talk about this investment, you know, from source to sign and what your role has been on the board so far? I'm a huge fan, <laughs> but I'm biased. The way I would look at Soldo is a little bit broader than just expense management. And this has been an exciting journey in that regard is that Soldo's product and technology go very deep. Soldo is not just about the card. Soldo is also about the software behind it. And Soldo is also about the API. And so Soldo is very much a spend management platform, which can handle not just um, your travel and entertainment, not just your expenses, but pretty much any payment that emanates from a company, whether it's coming in or out of the business. So, you know, even if you were just to look at a very small part where the business started, which you know used to be expense management, in that very segment alone, you've got about 20 million SMBs across Europe that would need that product, and that's a multi-billion dollar TAM. If you look at spend management more broadly, you start thinking from SMB all the way to very large corporate, maybe potentially even enterprise. Now that represents an even a huge opportunity. And I absolutely love that vision for Soldo. When I first met Carlo, 
the founder and, and the CEO, as well as Carlo, the co-founder and the CTO. I have to say it was a big professional crush. Carlo is, is an absolutely phenomenal entrepreneur. He's founded multiple businesses before. He's sold a billion dollar business before. So he's your real wartime CEO and an absolutely wonderful leader. I think what happened there quite quickly is that we understood their positioning within the value chain. We saw that vision from your kind of simple teeny solution all the way to spend management and locking in a much bigger part of the value chain. And that really convinced us in the opportunity that Soldo was going after something really big. I think the post-investment journey has also been, been an absolutely wonderful one. What we probably judge our founders the most on and where we help the most is hiring. And Carla has constructed an absolutely phenomenal team. We brought on a phenomenal president to the business who runs a lot of things commercial, Mariana, who's used to be a CPO and a CMO of Visa here in Europe. We brought a fantastic chief people officer, Alex. We brought um, a phenomenal CFO, Dean Show, who's you know gone from a Series A business all the way to an IPO before, so he knows his stuff. And frankly, at the VP level, there's a phenomenal bunch of people coming in from Dropbox and Box um, who, are, who are really experienced people. And so I'd say a big part of our involvement has been around helping call a hire by people. And then he delivered on that. So it has been very, very exciting. If that hasn't been clear yet, Solda's always hiring. So <laughs> if there's anyone listening to the podcast that wants to be part of what I hope to be the future European fintech unicorn, Solder is the place to be. Great. And then financial services and B2B tech, I mean, these are some of the uh-huh. largest, most sought after spaces right now, as we've discussed. And they're very complex, very rapidly changing. How are you staying informed on trends and new products, especially in light of COVID? We try and stay and stay fairly close to the market. And I guess there, there is a bit of a push and a pull, right? So in some cases, the best trends that you're learning about are from younger businesses being born. We try and meet founders really early. So you will sometimes be challenged by a founder that's raising a pre-seed round or a seed round and, and you identify an opportunity. And uh, that's obviously your, your push factor. And on the pull factor, when we think about markets more broadly and the trends, what we really try and do is that we turn to potential buyers of software. Um, so within our portfolio, a fairly large chunk of our businesses are selling into financial services. So we typically speak to data officers or chief investment officers or chief security officers within large financial institutions to really try and understand what what is top of mind. How is budget being allocated this year? Have they seen a shift? What is a top priority for the year to come or in fact for the 10 years to come? Those tend to be really helpful conversations. And you know, at last there are a lot of fantastic industry research analysts from the big guys uh, all the way to the specialist ones. Um, that we also stay quite in close touch with. So I'd say a combination of all of those is probably the one that really keeps us informed and on trend, hopefully. So then could you talk a little bit about the effect that Brexit has had on Dawn Capital, really, mm-hmm. if any, for you and your portfolio companies? Quite luckily. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you hear a Brexit question in 2020, because you're like, oh, man, <laughs> do I want to go back to the Brexit question? Because right. <laughs> 2020 has served us quite a few new challenges, but Brexit felt like a, like a nice one. 
We haven't really made as much of a difference. The reason being is that a lot of the businesses we invest in are all over Europe, right? And it doesn't really matter where they come from, right? Uh, we always say there is no geographic monopoly in talent, right? Some of our businesses are sort of founded in, in Barcelona. We have a business that was founded in Ljubljana, and I challenge you to find that on the map. <laughs> where is so that exactly? Slovenia. Oh, it's in Slovenia. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, wonderful businesses are created all over Europe. And I'm sure it's also true for the US. So it doesn't really matter where, where you're looking. So when it really came to, to Brexit, you know, luckily for us, because we are investing in, in technological innovation, it, it didn't really have that much of an effect. And candidly, you know, with the latest 2020 pandemic and, and those developments, mm-hmm. it, it has only proven to us that remote working works, that there are opportunities to have, if not fully distributed, but um, somewhat distributed teams. So there's certainly, there's certainly kind of a, the proof is in the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, kind of, we kind of feel good. I think a lot of people have just an unbelievably positive view of venture capital. It seems like this angle, you get to chat with incredible founders every week, attend to great meetings, build theses on areas. What is something about your role that you think might surprise people um, in your day-to-day, you know, both positively and negatively? I mean, I think the positive actually fear a lot of is you're quite right in saying that it's an extraordinarily exciting job. I very much feel like I'm, I'm learning every day. Um, you, you're always on forefront of innovation. You're always discovering new business models. You're always thinking about how can the world look in that specific industry in the next five or 10 years. So, there's a lot of excitement and um, you get to meet some phenomenal entrepreneurs, right? Who are obsessed with the idea of building a big business and who are after building, you know, the next category winner. So that's very exciting. I think on the negative side, I mean, look, <laughs> I don't know if it can come across a, a podcast, but I'm a big extrovert. I absolutely adore <laughs> meeting new people. I consider myself as a social person. What I think has been a big surprise to me is even for someone who's as extroverted as I am, there are some days where you need your Netflix and chill. You you need that pizza on your own, right? It is a lot of context switching. It is a lot of switching off different industries and and, and sort of trying to be really quick on your feet. And, uh, you know, at least for me, every time I meet someone, I, I try and create that meaningful personal connection because this is what I love as part of my job is, is being able to create real relationships with people. And so at times when, you know, when you have those tens of a day, you reach that point where it can be a little bit draining. But that being said, again, that's also the thing that then keeps me up in the morning because come <laughs> the next day, I'm, I'm yet again excited to meet the new people that day has uh, preserved for me. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Probably the best and, and toughest part of the job. So in closing, we're just going to do a rapid fire round of questions, something new that we're putting into the podcast. So it's going to be five seconds answer max. Got about 10 questions coming up. Are you ready? Oh, gosh, that sounds very, very (laughs) frightening. Uh, Sure, let's do this. All right. First one. First bank account that you ever had. Oh, gosh, a very small local bank in France. And it was a terrible user experience. (laughs) So on the flip side of that, favorite challenger bank. So from a personal perspective, I, I use Revolut from an investor perspective. I'm going to say none of them. I'm a big believer <laughs> in, the, in the B2B business model. 
<laughs> That's a good answer. What was the last fintech app that you downloaded? Ooh, the last one. Uh, we just rolled out new Solda app and it's fantastic. If you haven't downloaded it yet, you should. <laughs> Great plug. When do you think cash is disappearing? What year? Oh gosh, I, I, I don't know. When was the split supposed to happen? <laughs> <laughs> There's a projection um, every year. <laughs> there is a projection every year. Look, if I had that crystal ball, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be a billionaire already. <laughs> um, all right, so most overrated and then underrated fintech or tech trend of the last year. I think the most underrated trend would be selling software into financial institutions. I think people get very attached to a phenomenal user experience where kind of unbundling a bank and building an experience that was a lot better than what I had when I got my first bank account in that local branch somewhere in the south of France. But I think what people forget is building banks is inherently very hard. And so just putting a nice UX on something does not create uh, necessarily a valuable business with unit economics at work. Whereby what people do forget is you know, something like Goldman Sachs has about 10,000 developers. Right. And yes, those developers can build certain stuff internally. But at the same time, there's a lot of phenomenal software that can be built and sold into banks. So that's the segment we're after. Next one, your venture capital idol or hero. Mary Meeker. Not <laughs> only she's a woman, she's also absolutely key pass. She's incredible. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about right. non-venture capital idol? Uh, unfortunately, she passed. Uh, she passed this year, but uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is mm-hmm. uh, is an inspiration to us all. Absolutely. And then, how about your mentor in your career? You know what? I'm actually very lucky to be able to call my partners my mentors. Um, they've been through a couple of cycles by now, and uh, I, I couldn't be more blessed to be working with the three of them. And then, last thing, the uh, thing you miss the most about coming to the office. <laughs> well, I'm in the office right now. This is a bit of a cheap question, but uh, when I wasn't in the office, I would say what I miss the most is the serendipity of the office. It's not necessarily just sort of the ability to come up and talk to someone, but we very much work as a big team and as a family. So, you know, hearing my colleague bring up something interesting and then thinking, hey, like I've, I've run into a similar startup, you know, I'd love to swap notes or, you know, maybe someone's mentioning a super cool candidate for a CMO role and one of the businesses I work needs to hire one. That kind of level of connection is something you sadly cannot create over Zoom. So I've missed that a lot. Well, that's it for the lightning round. Hopefully that wasn't too bad, Evgenia. How should I have survived it? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on uh, the Warren Fintech podcast today. It was great to have you on. Thank you so much. It was, it was a huge pleasure to be part of it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know your thoughts in the comments. If you're looking for more fintech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauk.